Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Good morning to you and welcome to another edition of Better Living, a show about the people and organizations that make an impact around Dallas-Fort Worth. I'm your host this week, Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. want to thank you so much for joining us. Here this morning. Later on this hour, we're going to catch up with Tony Johnson Simpson, the executive director of Denton County Friends of the Family. They're dedicated to providing compassionate, comprehensive services to those impacted by rape, sexual abuse, and domestic violence while partnering with our community to promote safety, hope, healing, justice, and prevention. That's coming up a little later on this hour. But first, Hispanic Heritage Month began earlier this month and runs through October 15th. And joining us to talk about it is Annette Landeros, the president and CEO of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. And Annette, thanks so much for taking the time with us this morning. Hispanic Heritage Month is here. So how exciting of a time is this for you and uh, the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce? We're so excited. It's always a very festive time to honor, you know, our our Hispanic Latino culture and share it with everybody else. Um, And so so this year it's a little bit different, of course, due to COVID-19, but we're doing, uh, we're still doing various events socially distanced. And and really, you know, the Cultural Heritage Month is, is just that. It's an opportunity to share each other's culture with and welcome, you know, people of different cultures um, to, to really get to know a little bit about our culture. Annette, uh, I guess, first of all, just a little bit about you. How, how long have you been in this role and, and how did you get connected with the, the Hispanic Chamber of Commerce in Fort Worth? Such a great question. So I've actually been in this role for a little bit over a year. However, I was previously a board member of the chamber, so always a, a you know, a a strong supporter of, of what the chamber has been about. Um, so it's been an awesome transition to, to be able to, to go from, you know, being on the board to full-time championing what we do for small businesses here in Fort Worth. Um, so, so it's been one year, but a hell of a year because nobody could have, you know, really, you know, estimated what, what happened, but, but we're really energized and doing some good work in the community and have been able to accomplish so much. Yeah. What a, what a crazy, uh, uh, introduction in this new role with, with everything that's gone on. How, how has the pandemic affected the, the daily operations of the business and, uh, and, and how has the, the pandemic affected operations at the chamber? That's such a great question. So it's it's interesting because, you know, when everything started to shut down for our businesses, immediately when we went into just checking on our business members to see how they were doing. And of course, everyone, depending on industry, um, you know, had a different experience. But overall, it was just a very sad time. You know what I mean? But I have to say for here, for us here at the chamber, it's almost been our time to shine because we are in the business of business assistance. Um, so it really, for us, is an opportunity to reach out to our current chamber members to let them know that we're here for them and all the services that we could offer. But also what we found was that so many other small businesses and, and different size of businesses, but really the small businesses, reaching out because they wanted to be connected to, to an organization where they could you know, rely on for, for information or, or really just so they feel like they're not in this on their own. Um, so we've been able to really thrive during these challenging times as just a support system for, for small business 
um, and, and really offering virtual opportunities for them to connect and a lifeline if they had any questions regarding emergency business assistance, where they needed, you know, help with a lease or they just had any kind of question or, or need for referral, we're here for them and they really have have been very supportive of, of what we've been able to do for them. Uh, the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, the website is is pretty simple. It's just the, the acronym FWHCC.org. So perhaps there's something uh, that, that we discussed that you miss or you're, you don't have all the information. You're in the car. You can't jot something down. Uh, FWHCC.org. FWHCC.org. That's the website. Plenty of information uh, will be available there. And, and you know, Annette, I, I guess it, it is a, a crummy time. And, and unfortunately, the examples you just shared, it, it's people who are in need because of perhaps various levels of adversity or, or you know, whatever the impact uh, of the pandemic, uh, you know, has been for different people. But I, I guess how rewarding has it been for you all as a chamber to be able to be a support system and to to step up in a, a challenging time like this for, uh, you know, for various people? It's been it's been very energizing um, for us and really just makes us love what we do even more. We just actually got a message from a chamber member that said that, you know, we're a shining light in dark times and we appreciate all of that feedback. But it really from different it really we followed basically the needs of our businesses. We recognized that what we needed to do was meet them where they were. So initially it was PPE, right? Like if we're gonna reopen, we're gonna need all of these, you know, cleaning supplies, we're gonna need masks. So we were able to team up with our other chambers here in Fort Worth and Facebook and and deliver, you know, two you know, fifty thousand dollars in in PPE immediately to, to small businesses and then additional ones working with our city. So just getting those supplies out. And then it was business assistance, getting people the information they needed for their, you know, PPP loans or their EIDL loans and other various grant opportunities because it can be really, um, you know, overwhelming for a, for a small business owner that's trying to do that and hold their business together. Um, and, and really now where we're at and where we're able to, to do is help businesses plan for, for the long term. And, and so what we, everyone was talking about the pivot, but the pivot isn't going to stop. You know what I mean? 2021 is going to continue to, to really um, be a year that we have to challenge ourselves to think differently on how we operate and so providing our businesses with resources and ideas and being able to connect them with, with other business leaders to talk about, like, how everyone else is adjusting what they're doing. Um, so it's really been energizing um, to be in our position of being able to help folks. I think that that's definitely, you know, it's great when you hear the, the feedback that, that what you're doing is providing value. Um, so we're just going to continue to do that. And whether it's virtually, um, you know, for, for the next while. But I'll tell you that everyone is is really adjusted. We have we have with these virtual coffee with the chambers, and we've had up to 150 people that will sign on because they really just want to connect with people and get back to doing business. Uh, Annette, you've you've probably touched on on some of them uh, already, but I'm curious what resources the chamber offers that that communities and and people need to know about uh, whether it's reiterating some of the stuff you already discussed or perhaps stuff that that we haven't discussed already that that you need to make sure and want to make sure front and center yeah absolutely a big proponent of connecting with your local chamber because it's an opportunity to to really showcase and promote your business but it's also consider it an extension of your business at least that's how we consider our chamber we're a lifeline we're um you know a call center of support if you have a question, you need a referral, you're trying to get in contact with somebody from the city with a question, we can do that on your behalf as well. Um, we also offer programs that really um, showcase local talent and um, and create spaces for dialogue and conversation. We had a really great um, DEI um, program this year that hit on diversity, equity, inclusion initiatives that really was you know well attended. People were interested because it's a hot topic right now. Um, and, and for also for aspiring business, um, you know, aspiring entrepreneurs, 
your local chamber is a great place to start. So we do a lot of business consultations for folks that have just an idea, a dream. They're looking for where is the right place to start. We can help you connect with, you know, people who can be funding solutions or, you know, if you need a realtor for commercial space, we have plenty of those as well. Um, so really we can help um, businesses at different points of growth um, and, and really just be a place for, for folks to, to consider, you know, calling it their, their professional home. You mentioned there the, uh, the diversity, equity, and inclusion initiatives, DEI. Uh, could you expand, would you mind expanding on, on the focus uh, on diversity, equity, and inclusion and, and the initiatives that the, the chambers are part of? Absolutely. So we, you know, of course, being, you know, a Hispanic chamber, that's something that's top of mind as well. Um, but, you know, this year has been a particularly challenging year for our country in terms of DEI. Um, and, and so what we did was, and we're continuing to do, is to provide opportunities for, for businesses to have that conversation. You know what I mean? There's, there's plenty of personal conversation going on. The business leaders are, are thinking about it in, in different perspectives of how can I support my employees? How can I make sure that my employees understand our policies and our stance on certain, you know, topics? Um, what is the right way to, to, you know, take a stance or not take a stance? And really what we are able to do you know, it's not that we are, as a chamber, are, are saying, like, this is what you have to do. What we do is we provide an opportunity and a platform for businesses to have that conversation. So, you know, we recently had um, a, um, a panel that featured, you know, HEB, HEB corporate from in San Antonio to Toyota North America that's headquartered in Plano to DFW Airport, and they were able to sh share some of their initiatives, and that allows other other companies the opportunity to think through, you know, hey, maybe that's a good idea. Um, also, they were able to ask some questions of their DEI leaders, small businesses. They don't have as robust of HR, if any HR, you know, teams. So they are able to kind of, you know, learn from other larger companies that do have staff dedicated to this topic. Um, so really, it's just we're we're here to provide a space for people, for business leaders to have that conversation so they can get the information they need to take back to their business and and implement what they feel is right for them. Talking with Annette Landeros of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, and Annette, uh, you talked about virtual events and uh, changing course since March. Uh, how have you found that uh, this shift has, has uh, I guess, impacted people, and, and is this something that's been successful? And, and what have you all learned about the, the way you've had to adjust your programming since the pandemic really hit this country and this area in full force? Yeah, so we shifted immediately, just like everyone else, um, to, to virtual events. And it's really interesting because Chambers of Commerce, we kind of depend on social gathering. You know what I mean? We have luncheons and we have networkers and all of that. So so it was kind of a little bit challenging to switch to, to a fully virtual world. We were a little nervous about whether people would find value in that. But we are, have been pleasantly surprised that when we have virtual coffees with the Chambers, we have over 100 people who sign on, um, and they're really engaged, and they've totally picked up Zoom and, and whatever platform we use. So that has been really beneficial. One thing that we have learned as we are now, you know, six, seven months into, into living with, you know, COVID-19 as our reality is that moving forward and planning for 2021, it's really going to be um, a, a, a balance of trying to be respectful of people's different levels of comfort. And so, you know, what we'll see, you know, probably us and a lot of other people shifting to is maybe a hybrid event of, you know, in-person and virtual, or maybe some events are virtual and some events are in-person because everyone has like a different situation that they're dealing with and there are different health circumstances and different people that they have at home. And, and so really for us, it's just providing comfortable spaces for people to gather either virtually or in the future, maybe in, you know, in a safe distanced manner. Um, we have actually had, and we're having our, an event next week um, at a local drive-in. So being innovative, how people can 
gather safely. You know what I mean? Yeah, no kidding. And, uh, you know, I think everyone's obviously rolling with the punches and, uh, you know, everyone with different levels of comfort. And, and you, you mentioned that at the beginning. Uh, Annette, National Hispanic Heritage Month. We talked about it right at the top, but, you know, in case someone missed it, I, I'd love for you to kind of restate uh, what National Heritage National Hispanic Heritage Month celebrates and uh, what what the, the chamber is doing to amplify those celebrations. Yeah, absolutely. So National Hispanic Heritage Month and the reason that it is around September, so it's from September 15th to October 15th. And the reason that it's, you know, in that time period is that around September 15th, September 16th, there are several Latin American countries that celebrate their independence. We have countries like Guatemala, Honduras, El Salvador, Nicaragua, Costa Rica, Mexico, Chile and Belize are just a couple days after. So it's kind of, you know, because it, it, a lot of people don't know that, that that's the reason it's it, mid-September, that it coincides with these Latin American countries and their national independence days, which made them each individual Latin American countries, right? And so what's interesting about, you know, Hispanic heritage and Latino heritage is that we really are a diverse group just within ourselves. Um, because each of these countries of origin come with their own their own cuisine, they come with their own music, their own style of traditional dress um, and history and textiles and, and culture. And so Hispanic Heritage Month, even though it is like one big month, is really a you know a celebration of the diversity and the beauty that is within the Hispanic culture and even within us. You know what I mean? Like I'm constantly learning about different Hispanic foods that don't coincide with, you know, my family's country of origin, which is Mexico. And so being exposed to, you know, oh my gosh, like this is really delicious um, food from El Salvador. Um, that is even a true experience for myself um, and, and celebrating the different cuisines of different Latin American countries. So I would say that Hispanic Heritage Month is really about that rich cultural mixture of all of these beautiful countries that come with their own their own culture and, and a time for all of us to learn, you know, a little bit more about each other um, and to share that with everyone. All right. So everyone loves food. So I got a couple food follow-ups here since you brought it up, but that's okay. All right. Yeah, let's do it. Favorite dish or meal or, or maybe it's just an individual item that fits, uh, into the, the category of, of Hispanic cuisine, whether it's from, you mentioned uh, you're from Mexico or any of the other countries you mentioned. What, what's your favorite? Okay, so for me, my very favorite dish is ceviche, which is funny because, you know, it's actually historically Peruvian, but there's each each country and each place you go has like a different twist on ceviche, but ceviche is basically, um, it's a, it's, uh, it's a seafood dish, but it's the the seafood's actually cooked in 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 like citrus juice. So usually like a lime juice, and it is cooked in that, and it's just so fresh and so easy, but also so delicious. So ceviche would be absolutely hands down my first pick if I had to be you know put on an island with only one food. <laughs> All right, and then you you mentioned you're constantly learning. So what's a what's again a dish an item. Uh, what's something that you recently learned uh, or tried that maybe you hadn't had something that kind of fits into the, the uh, recent introduction category of this discussion? Um, let's see. So I want to say, interestingly enough, I've recently been exposed to, to Dominican food, um, which is something that I have never really had. Um, and so I have recently tried mofongo, which is actually kind of like a, um, it's an interesting, you know, it's, it's made with plantains and pork and it's made into this, you know, kind of almost like a, not, I'm trying to think of what it would, it would sound like. It's almost like, um, uh, like a quiche maybe almost, but it's made with plantains um, that's the main ingredient, and then also with pork. And what's interesting is that, you know, 
plantains being in the banana family, of course, in Latin America, you or you know, in in the U.S., you would hardly think bananas and and meat. Um, but in Latin American countries, with plantains and the use of plantains is absolutely used kind of as a savory with meat and different things like that. So that um, is a new one that I had recently tried, mofongo from from the D Dominican Republic. Um, I, it is not necessarily my favorite, but it was. It was good, you know what I mean? And so so I always look forward to trying different things. All right. We're talking with Annette Landeros, the president and CEO of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. Uh, Annette, so back to Hispanic Heritage Month, uh, why is this period of time so important for the Hispanic business community? So this is a, a, such an important time for the Hispanic business community because, you know, as I mentioned, uh, there are folks that are interested in celebrating. So it's a great way to showcase your cuisine or, you know, what it is that you have going. But also these cultural heritage times, aside from sharing our cuisine and our culture, which I've mentioned, it's also a time to, to celebrate the um, the the great value that, that Latin Americans have brought to the U.S. in terms of business, in terms of leadership, um, and and really, you know, even economic buying power. We're one of the largest consumer group of consumers in the country, so it's really just a time for for pride um, and to celebrate all the great things that we've done. So it's it's a wonderful time to 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 support Hispanic-owned businesses. Um, because it, you know, it's just a great time to, to support the culture. Uh, and I'm curious, what advice do you have for business owners as they work their way through the rest of this year and, and move ahead to 2021? I know you mentioned earlier that the, the pivoting is not necessarily going to stop, but, uh, what's some of the advice that, that you would share to, to those owners? I would say that to communicate with your, your customers, I think that the hardest part um, and right now, everyone, thanks to social media and thanks to, to the great efforts of folks like yourselves that really are interested in highlighting the people behind institutions like companies or people behind nonprofits, now more than ever, it's a time for business owners to step behind, you know, step from out from behind their business and really put themselves in the forefront and tell their story. Why did you start your business? What are you about? Was this a family business? What inspired you? Because people are really energized and inspired by the personal stories behind companies and businesses. You see it all the time. And so it's sometimes hard when business owners are just focused on the day-to-day -to, -day to talk about themselves. But now's the time to talk about it. You know what I mean? This is who I am. This is my business. This is why we started it. This is my family that is, you know, really committed to running it. We've been here for this many years. Um, I think that now more than ever, consumers really want to shop locally. They want to shop with people they feel like they want to invest in. And so, you know, it's okay to be a little bit more personal with, with your, your company right now. I'm curious, from the membership side of things, Annette, what's important for people to know about gaining membership uh, with the Chamber and how they go about that process? Yeah, it's a really easy process to, to become a Chamber member. I think that the folks are often... Um, you know, not aware, or they feel like maybe it's not a good fit for them. I would say everyone should should look into it. There's different varying, you know, membership levels, which are usually dependent on the size of the business. We try to make sure that nobody gets left out. Um, and you can absolutely, and this is one thing I recommend to everyone, try out your chamber before you join. You know what I mean? Attend some of their events as a non-member. You should definitely make sure it's a place where you feel welcomed and comfortable and a place that you feel like, okay, this is, you know, a team that I, I definitely want to be a part of. Um, and if you do feel that way, then then join. And if not, then maybe check out a different chamber. Even though we're a Hispanic chamber, we have plenty of non-Hispanic members. We welcome everyone. You do not have to be Hispanic to join our chamber. So really, you know, as a, as a business owner, find the chamber that feels right for you um, and that you feel like you would be comfortable asking questions or asking for help. Um, and, and, and then, you know, join that chamber. But you definitely want to make sure that, that you feel good about the chamber you're joining. Don't feel like you have to join right away. You can definitely try it out for size. All right. So if I were to come to an event and, and I'm, you know, seeking possible membership, what are the things you'd like? for me to walk away from an event saying about the chamber? What, what, what would you 
characterizes the identity or, or you know, some of the, the characteristics that are important to you uh, about the chamber and, and the, the team inclusion aspect of it? Yeah, I would say I would love and I hope that everyone walks away saying the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce is a welcoming chamber where everyone can can really feel comfortable um, and that they feel that our entire team and our fellow chamber members are all about supporting each other in our, our road to success. Um, our, our staff team, I tell all of our chamber members, it's, you know, it's, our success is dependent on your success. We want you to grow as a business. We want to get you out there. We want to bring you business. We're working for you. Um, so really, I want everyone to just walk away knowing that they have a, a whole staff of champions that are going to be standing behind them, cheering them on, and, and serving as a resource to really help their business grow. What are some of the events that, that the chamber has coming up uh, that people can take part in or, or people could maybe, you know, take you up on that? Hey, let's let's go and try things out. What, what are some of the events and, and activities from a programming standpoint that uh, people should put on their radar? So next week, next Friday, actually, we are having what would have been our awards gala. We ourselves have pivoted, and so we're going to have a socially distanced event at the Coyote Drive-In here in Fort Worth where we're going to have, you know, we've already produced a film that highlights our award winners for the year. We're going to have a concert pre-show and then a movie screening of the movie Selena, which we think everyone will love after. Um, So it'll be an evening out that you can watch in your car or bring your lawn chairs and sit right outside of your car. Um, Socially distanced, uh, everyone will get a meal. And and so that's next week on October 9th, starting the doors open at 6 p.m. And they can purchase tickets on our website, www.fwhcc.org. And other than that, if they want to join in and, and, and try a free event, we have monthly coffee with the chambers. You can find information about those on our website as well. Or follow us on Facebook and all of our other social media platforms where we'll be um, sharing information for those. But Coffee with the Chamber is a perfect um, opportunity. It's free. It's low. Um, you know, it's, it's low risk. You're really, you know, just click on the Zoom button and, and check everyone out and see if, you know, if we, you like what we're about. And now before we uh, say goodbye here this morning, anything else that you think is important for people to know about the Chamber? Anything maybe we haven't covered that uh, you want to get out there? Uh, just really that we we are here to serve, that we are, you know, energized and excited to learn and, and meet new new business owners or, or folks that are aspiring entrepreneurs or people that are looking to do business here in Fort Worth. Um, and, and we're just a phone call or an email or, you know, an event away. Annette, we really appreciate the time. Thanks so much for joining us and happy Hispanic Heritage Month. Thank you. Well, there you go. Annette Landeros, the president and CEO of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce, uh, as you hopefully were able to glean from that conversation, an organization that is really uh, doing a ton of work to support its membership. And, and uh, you know, as we talked about towards the end, uh, try and create an environment that, that welcomes new members. And uh, as she indicated, you don't have to be Hispanic to be a part of the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce. If you want information about the membership, just go to fwhcc.org, and at the very top, you can uh, click the drop-down box labeled, uh, titled Membership. You also have information about uh, the the chamber itself and the, the programming and events and uh, the various services provided to businesses, students, communities, uh, people in search of jobs. Uh, it's, a, you know, it's a great organization that's doing great work, and we really appreciate Annette's time and all the work that she has put into the chamber and and the, the Fort Worth community and, and the Hispanic community. Again, fwhcc.org, fwhcc.org. It's uh, the initials of Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce with the exception of the O for of, fwhcc.org, the Fort Worth Hispanic Chamber of Commerce here as we continue to celebrate National Hispanic Heritage Month. All right, we continue with Better Living here this morning uh, and want to thank all of you for waking up early to join us. Uh, We're now going to talk with Tony Johnson Simpson. Tony is the executive director of Denton County Friends of the Family, an organization 
that is doing a lot of work to provide compassionate and comprehensive services to those impacted by rape, sexual abuse, and domestic violence, while also partnering with the community to promote safety, hope, healing, justice, and prevention. So as we welcome Tony into the the program and the conversation, uh, Tony, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Uh, I guess first off, uh, would love to learn how you got involved with uh, Denton County Friends of the Family and in, in your current role as the executive director. Yeah, it's really interesting. I have been there 15 years. It's been a really exciting journey for me. I was an intern student. I was a student at Texas Women's University in the social work department, undergrad. And I was kind of mouthing off to my professor talking about how I, um, <clears throat> I was taking a Vonskitz women's class. I didn't believe that it was pre- as prevalent as the statistics she was presenting. So she said, you should go volunteer at Denton County Friends of the Family. And so I did really more to prove her wrong than to learn. But when I went there, and this was in the late 80s, I was in awe of the people who worked there, and I was amazed that people in my very own community needed the support of this organization. So for me, it really ignited a fire. And so I went on to work at other nonprofit agencies in Dallas County and a few in Denton, and then in um, came here in 2005. In 2004, a friend of mine called me. She says, hey, the, the ED job in Denton is available, and that's your job. I said, you think so? She goes, yes, because you're just what they need, and it's a good fit for you. And I interviewed a couple of times with a large panel, and they offered me the position, and I've been there ever since. All right, now Denton County, Friends of the Family, what can you tell us about the organization and, and, and the mission and, and how it was formed? We want to get down to the, to the history, so let's just start with the mission. Denton County, Friends of the Family, uh, you all put all your efforts towards what? Our services are really for those families and individuals that have in, been impacted by domestic violence and sexual assault and or sexual assault, and we provide a variety of services. Uh, we do a lo- great deal of partnership and education in our community, but we provide all those basic services, legal assistance, emergency shelter, 24-hour crisis line, counseling, advocacy, um, transitional housing, just pretty much anything that anyone is going to need in order to improve their uh, their circumstances in life and to be able to increase the opportunity for, for healing. And how did, how did Denton County Friends of the Family form? Well, what's the, the background of the organization? Well, it's really interesting. It was a, and you think about in uh, 1980, this work was really new in this part of the country in Texas. Um, and the, probably the first agencies were started around 1978 in the state of Texas. So it was pretty progressive that a group of volunteers and local citizens in 1980 came together and wanted to form a nonprofit that was for victims of domestic violence at the time. And so um, there was an executive director that came. I believe she originally lived in New York, and her name is Fran Danis. She went on to be Dr. Fran Danis and did a great deal of research. She's a 28-year-old social worker who was the very first executive director and really worked with that community on a grassroots effort to start the organization. And so we've kind of grown from there over the years. Tony, and, and the website, by the way, you know, as we discuss uh, various elements, programs, ways to contact, ways okay. to support, dcfof.org, dcfof.org. I'll make sure to repeat yeah. that. Tony, when I'm on the website, I, I see something really interesting. I, I remember when I was younger in school and I was playing computer games when I shouldn't have been, some of those websites yeah. intuitively had like a button you could click to just yeah. immediately exit out so that the teacher mm-hmm. didn't see you. And uh, at the very top of this website, there's a, a black box, rectangular box, a, a button okay. that says escape this site. And that takes you right to Google. And and I imagine that's done for the, the purpose of privacy and security for a variety of reasons. And, and I imagine yeah. if that button's there, that's a, a, a big emphasis for uh, Denton County friends of the family and, and, and the way you all operate. Absolutely. It's a safety alert opportunity that if someone is using this site, that they wouldn't want that tracked and wouldn't want their abuser uh, to know that they had been on there seeking information, then it's a great way to be able to hide that and to quickly escape from the site. And it'll just go to a Google search and just look like you've been out searching anything else. All right. Now, I'd love if you could walk us through the process whether it's uh, it's myself or, or maybe I, I want to reach out on behalf of a, a friend, family uh-huh. member, whomever. There, there's someone who's impacted uh, in, in a negative way, unfortunately, by uh, you know the, the various 
things that, that we've discussed, uh, the, the, the domestic assault, the sexual assault, uh, what, what's the, the best way to go about connecting with Denton County Friends of the Family and utilizing the services that are, are there to support those people? So the best way is always just to reach out to our crisis line. It's open and available 24 hours a day. People can either call or they may text the number. Either one of those during this pandemic, we've added that text feature to allow people who've been at home and kind of quarantined with their batteries to be able to use that so they can use it in privacy and not have to actually talk on the phone. Um, so you can, the best way is always just to reach out to our crisis line. We do get a lot of people that refer to us through um, law enforcement or through child protective services. But our number one referral source is really family and friends, people who have know someone who is who are being impacted by these issues, and then they're able to tell them, hey, this is an organization you should reach out to. But always, our crisis line is the best place to start. And that number, and again, all this stuff's going to be online. So if, if you're driving, we certainly don't want you to, to text or write and drive. But if you're uh, sitting down... Uh, the the text option, and, and you could also, if I if I understand the website correctly, Tony, you can call this option as well nine four zero three eight two seven two seven three nine four zero three eight two seven two seven three. There's also an eight hundred number that's available on the website, and again, the website dcfof.org. And I, I guess I always hear Tony that one of the the challenges is before we even get to that point that we just discussed, people speaking up on their behalf or on the behalf of someone else and, and whether it's the stigma that's attached or the fear that speaking up is going to put yourself out there, but it's not sure. going to accomplish anything. And I guess I'd love for you, you to share a little bit about, you know, what people uh, who are in a position to speak up uh, either for themselves or someone else need to understand about the importance of doing so. Well, the, the thing is the, the staying quiet the, the silence around domestic violence and or sexual assault is what gives it a great deal of power. And what we encourage those who have been affected, survivors, um, victims of domestic violence, is to really to use your voice to speak out and to know what your resources are. We have attorneys on staff that can help people to understand and know what their legal rights are. And it gets really complicated when you're involved, when you're married to someone or in a relationship, an intimate partner relationship with someone, and you have children with them, they're sure there are going to be some legal um, restraints there around the children and custody and access and so forth. And that's one of the greatest fears we hear from a lot of the women that we work with is that they feel that leaving their abusive partner, that perhaps he has more access to re financial resources and that they will lose access to their children. And so we just encourage you, we have legal clinics and now we're doing those online. Um, in a, in a format where you can talk to an attorney, you can find out what your legal resources and access to resources are. Um, so we just want mostly it's about people have to be informed and that there is no question that is not worthy of an answer. So whatever your question is, you deserve an answer to it. And it's not going to always be the easiest answer, but we promise that we're going to tell you the truth and we will help you to understand exactly what your options are that you have available to you. So I always tell people, reach out, find the information, and then the other part is that you can do that with us without any judgment. Whatever your decision is, whether it's to stay or to leave or however it is you want to manage your life and your relationship, that is up to you, and we respect your right to choose. So you don't, you don't have to worry about having a sense of feeling judged if you're calling in to access information or resources from us. And all the services are absolutely free of charge. We're chatting with Tony Johnson Simpson, the executive director of Denning County Friends of the Family. Tony, I got to ask you. I, I feel, uh, I feel like an outsider here. Is there a, what, what? What do the cool kids say? Is there an abbreviation <laughs> of of Denning County Friends of the Family? What, what, what do you guys say around the office? DCFOF. DCFOF. Right, there you go. That works. That's good enough for me. Uh, I know it's a lot of names. <laughs> I, Tony, so I, I guess I'd like to maybe focus a little bit about the emergency shelter. Uh, what what can you share with us about the emergency shelter and, and uh, what's provided with the, with the emergency shelter? So for us, our shelter is about a 32-bed capacity, and we are looking in the future to build a larger facility. Um, <clears throat> and it is really just about 
It is a place to come and heal. We have access to counseling and individual individual and group counseling for both yourself and your children. But most importantly, it's a supportive environment. There are courses of information to legal resources. Um, we can help you to get a protective order or we can help you to access legal services. Whatever it is, the needs that you have, of course, everything is provided free of charge. There is no fee to stay in the shelter. All of your food and basic needs are also going to be provided while you're there. And so if you're looking for employment or education opportunities, we have some of those opportunities also available. So it's really just an opportunity. And we do talk to people about a 30-day stay in shelter and looking at Ford, what does that mean afterwards, what kind of what resources you have and where would you like to go afterwards. And so we're just going to work on all of those things while you're there. You're assigned an advocate and he or she is going to be the person that is your your number one cheerleader and your your resource to your access to all the resources that are available. You've mentioned a few times that the services are free of charge, and yes. I know, and you know, and and I think people uh, tuning in know that they're free of charge because of the support of of others right. and 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 uh, the financial supports. Uh, you know the 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 the. the man and woman hours and, and volunteering that stuff's so important but at the end of the day organizations such as dcfof need uh the financial resources to allow for these amazing services to be free of charge so i i, I want to get back to the services offered but before we do uh dcfof.org there's a, a a donate button right at the very top of the page I, i'm curious what other than just going online and clicking donate tony what, what are other ways people can contribute to ensure that these these life-changing services remain free of charge and, and you all are able to, to continue to operate in that way? There's always donate. There's our 40th anniversary virtual gala that's coming up uh, on October the 8th. And there's also um, that we always, if you follow us on social media, we always put out alerts. We have a family, I think, now that's in need of some furniture. And so we always put out kind of those immediate needs that we have for families as well. We do back-to-school drives for school supplies. The holidays are gearing up, and so we'll be doing food drives for Thanksgiving and then, of course, Christmas holiday gifts and those things. And we always say that, really, we get the kind of benefit of seeing the best and the worst in, in, that happens in our community. We see people who are so generous and who give and are the real true meaning of Santa Claus because they give to people, to our organization or to individuals, and they may never know the faces or the names of the people that they help. But they're giving from a place of their heart of very genuineness, giving. And then we also see those people who are, we see the worst in that we see people who are hurt by someone all in the name of love. That it's a partner who's using love as a weapon over someone else and using that to control or harm their family. But it is the beauty of seeing people give from such a generous spirit to help others that is really very, very um, inspirational, I'll say, in the work that we see. And so, yes, people can always click the donate button. Um, there are many opportunities throughout the year in order to give <clears throat> to our organization. And we thank you for trusting us in order to support others um, on their journey to healing. Tony, you know, you mentioned, uh, obviously, I, I think when people think of domestic violence, you know, they think of grown men and women. Uh, and, you know, a lot of times there are, are, are youngsters a part of the equation, whether they're mm -hmm. you know the target of this or they just they have to deal with the domino effect. Uh, and it, it, it made me think about just the education uh, and, and I think you mentioned this earlier, how, how important, like, it, I, I know that everyone always looks for a, a cure-all and, and, you know, how can we totally get rid of domestic violence and mm -hmm. domestic assault? And gosh, that would be amazing if we got to that point. But it, it seems like education is a really big part of uh, perhaps getting the numbers to trend in the right direction and, and getting that education from uh, a young age. You, you've been doing this in this role, as we talked about at the beginning, for 15 years. So I'm sure that mm -hmm. you've seen just about all there is to see. Uh, and I'm curious, from your your experience, how important is that education? And, and how, how can you go about uh, that education? Because, uh, you know, you, you take history and math and English, but, you know, you don't take a year-long class on domestic right. violence and how to treat people, which you know, fundamentally, that that's so important. I, I guess, what are your thoughts on, on the importance and how to go about uh, delivering the right education. 
We do. We have a lot of education uh, that we provide to the community, and we give it to youth in um, really age-appropriate um, kind of compacts of information, so to speak. So we really do talk to our younger kids really about personal safety, about respect and mutual respect. Um, we talk a lot about that to kids, and we, as it progresses through through middle school and high school, then we talk about um, respect for each other, and we talk about uh, boundaries and relationships. And really we find that when, by the time they're middle school, kids have very, very strongly formed opinions about relationships. And it's real interesting, I'll share with you, we, I remember going into the schools and we had uh, some kids and we were talking, giving them examples and talking about dating violence. And we had um, a scenario where it was a thing, well, it was a girlfriend, a boyfriend, and they were in the eighth grade and the boyfriend told the girl that he didn't like it when she wore her hair a certain way. And she continued to wear her hair a certain way. And he said, I don't like it when you wear lipstick. I don't like it when your, your skirt is short. And she continued to do those things. And so then he pushed her. And some of the kids are like, well, he told her not to do it. And that's his girlfriend. So he gets it. That's what he told her not to do. And it's really shocking to think that kids at that age already have those really negative kind of ideas in their mind and a belief system that it's okay to control someone if you're in a relationship with them and you say that you care about them. So we're doing a lot of education on trying to um, help people and youth to really understand gender roles and to understand rights and to understand about respect for another person. And we do some education with parents as well. We may have some parent classes that they can come out to because some of the schools will want to have the parents to come out before we come out. Um, and so we, um, we also have a great ambassador program. We just started with our youth, and that's from everyone 14 to 24, I believe, is the range on that. And it's really youth helping us to design information on how we can best get information out to their age group. So we, we're, we're asking these ambassadors, you help us to know what's going to be most effective on TikTok or what's the best way and the best language and be able to reach youth to talk about this particular topic. And so we are um, always looking for information on how we can expand and do better on reaching our youth. But, yes, education is very key in order to help young people to understand um, and for girls to know that it's not okay, and because someone says I love you or I like you, doesn't mean they get to control you or demean you or abuse you at all. Amen. Uh, Tony, I, I, I'm curious, and in, in just looking the website, uh, I noticed that you know it, it's not totally just about the victims. That's obviously the focus, but there are maybe some mm-hmm. some opportunities for the you know the, the person who is is actually the abuser. Uh, yes, yes, we to, do. Yeah, to, and 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 you know, I I think it's great that you know those people aren't discarded and and just kicked to the side. That there are efforts to try and help them grow out of, uh, you know, their abuse. What what sort of services, or could you share more about the services that are offered sure. for those people? Yeah, we have a batteries intervention prevention program. Uh, the, the acronym for that is BIP, B I P P. And it is really uh, a program, it is a group-based model, um, and it is one of uh, those that in the state that is pretty, um, that is recognized. And so we're able to really talk to them about their values and about their belief system. It's so much about the belief system of believing that you have the right to have power, to use power and control to manage or to oversee your relationship. And so um, our, our batteries program has been around since the 90s. Um, it's very well respected in our community. And um, we see about 700 or so uh, participants go through that program. It is the only program that there is a fee for service. Um, and those dollars go back in to help victim services um, from the batteries program. And it's a, we do a 27-week, once-a-week program, uh, group-based model, as well as an intake and an exit interview. So we see them um, uh, about 29, 30 times. You know, looking at that part of the website, there's a section that says or asks, what is abuse? And it provides some uh, various forms, physical abuse, emotional and mm-hmm. verbal abuse, sexual abuse. And I, I think, uh, you know, people have varying degrees of familiarity with those three forms of abuse. What about financial abuse? And, and then there's religious or spiritual abuse. Well, what can you share with us oh, about my- those two? Yeah, those are so prevalent, and it's, you know, we hear a lot about 
the financial and economic abuse are really are huge barriers because it is hard for someone to make a plan to be able to exit and leave when they have no access to any type of financial situation or when all of the money is basically controlled by the batter and then she doesn't have the access to resources. Um, it makes the decisions that she makes, it gives her fewer opportunities to make decisions to keep herself safe. Um, and then the religious aspect, that's a very, very difficult, the spiritual religious part, because it is so ingrained in most of us, whatever our religious or spiritual beliefs are. And when those things are used as weapons against us, um, either for fear that I, I don't want to leave because the church doesn't want me to leave, or I talk to my, um, I talk to my church pastor or my minister, and they said that I should pray and get through it. Um, but yet they're going home, they're being subjected to a great deal of control or physical violence, then it's very difficult for people to make those decisions to be able to walk away from something when they believe, like, if I leave my husband, then I'm going to, I'm not going to have God's favor and that I have to be able, if I just pray about it, he's going to change. And so those are some real life difficult things for people to do. That and emotional abuse. Those are very, very difficult. They don't leave scars. The police, they come out if someone gets a black eye or someone is, uh, is uh, strangled or there is, you know, a, an obvious physical assault. Everyone can point to that and say, aha, that's wrong, that's bad. It'll be, uh, it's the other things that are more subtle that don't leave bruises or marks that are more difficult for people to be able to escape, honestly. Tony Johnson Simpson, the executive director of Denton County Friends of the Family, uh, a, a tremendous organization, and, and we're talking about the uh, Battering Intervention and Prevention Program, BIP. Again, all this stuff's on the website, dcfof.org. Uh, last thing that, that kind of focuses on the abusers, how willing, I, I mean, I guess to, to everyone's different, but, but how willing typically are the abusers to change and recognize that, Hey, you know, maybe they're acting out of character in, in, you know, terrible ways, but they, they're raising their right hand and saying, I need to change or, or is it a struggle to oftentimes get the abusers uh, of that mindset to where what they're doing just isn't healthy and isn't right. It's, it's oftentimes very challenging and real honestly, uh, about 97% of the people that come through our program are court ordered. The thing about, uh, abusive relationships, there has to be, at some point, there has to be a community accountability. That we have to have systems that hold batterers accountable. We have to stop asking the question of why does she stay, and we have to ask why does he hurt? Why does he make the choice, and why are we um, colluding with him in order to be abusive and controlling of his family? So it is many times that they will come to us because the judge has said, you must go do this, you must complete this program. And that's why they come with us. It takes a really about, they get about 12 weeks through is when we start to see a real difference. That 10 or 12 week period is when you start to see a shift in the mindset where there's more accountability when we're doing these kind of uh, weekly check-ins and really holding them accountable and asking them very direct questions, but also giving them information. And so that's when we really start to see a difference. But it has to be that there is more benefit to not being a batter than it is to being a batter. We have to tilt those scales that suddenly, but if he is in a position where he's getting all this family support and friends and people, his colleagues are supporting him and his efforts and they're minimizing his abusive uh, behavior and there's no recourse from the criminal justice system, then it's a whole lot of benefit to him to continue to be controlling. He's getting everything he wants. So we have to, as a community, as a people, and as a culture, make that shift and hold batterers accountable and not ask, why does she stay, but ask, why does he batter, and hold him accountable for that. That's what makes the biggest difference. Tony, I I, I hate for this to come off as a, a silly question, but I, I have read people discuss the impact of Law & Order SVU on raising awareness uh, on, on abuse with you know how mainstream of a show it is and how long it's been around and how some of the cast members uh have you know really taken to the content and and you know gone uh above and beyond and raising awareness beyond the the show 
So I guess I'm curious, you know, from your perspective, what sort of a benefit uh, and, and, and how has Law & Order SVU perhaps impacted, uh, you know, the way people approach and understand, you know, these tough subjects? Well, I think media, the media is, you know, is greatly, um, can be greatly beneficial. It's kind of a double-edged sword, honestly. It's kind of, a, it's helpful and it can be really damaging. Because one of the things that happens is with any of those shows, you know, CSI, 40, whatever it is, it's solved in, you know, the span of an hour. And so the DNA tests come back really quickly. Justice has always prevail. And I think that's one of the things we're always trying to help with people who are seeking services for us, from us is to really manage expectations because the wheels of justice never move that quickly. It can be a slow process at times. So while, you know, shows like uh, Law & Order, and I'm a big fan, Law and & Order and SVU and CSI, all of those shows, while they are helpful because they shed a light to let people know that these things do happen, that these real-life crimes happen, and it helps sometimes to take that um, from the darkness that people have been holding on to it, and they see it portrayed on TV, and they're like, ah, this is this happens to other people. But, I mean, Oprah Winfrey was a huge part of doing that because she had real-life people on there. Um, there have been a number of talk shows and all those things, and then they always put the national hotline afterwards, the national DV hotline. So there are, I think medium is really helpful in those aspects, but the hard part is people expect for justice to happen in a really short time frame, and many times it does not, that it's a very slow-moving process. And so we just have to help to manage expectations. Tony Johnson Simpson, the executive director of Denton County Friends of the Family, with us here Uh Tony, what can you tell me about Camp Hope? Oh, my God. Camp Hope is so exciting to us. We were scheduled to do it this year, but um, due to the pandemic, we had to cancel it this year. But it's an amazing opportunity for children whose lives have been impacted by domestic violence or sexual assault to come together in a really safe environment to have a four-night sleepaway camp. Um, we have donors that are helping us to provide that. We provide everything the kids need. And they really get to go there and they talk about hope and what hope means to them, and how they find hope in their lives on their journey. These are kids who have experienced some real-life trauma, and now we're trying to help them to take that energy and to reimagine it, to look at the things that are possible for them, because we know that's how we can help kids to be able to change this pattern that maybe has been um, put up on their lives. And we can help the next generation. We talk about that education component. Um, there's so much that Camp Hope will do and being able to have kids to find a lot, to find that new hope and energy and to be able to put that into a positive way and to have the synergy that's built around a camp for um, a four-night a four night sleepaway. So we're really excited about Camp Hope. And, you know, in addition to, to considering a donation in general, uh, you can also, it appears, if I'm, if I'm not mistaken, Tony, you go to the website and, and under the uh -huh. events tab is Camp Hope, and, and you can provide a, a specific donation uh, towards the, the $45,000 goal. Uh, so, you know, it's it's easy to find on the website if you want to, uh, you know, if, if that uh, tugged at your heart, what, what Tony just shared about Camp Hope, if you want to donate specifically or directly to Camp Hope, you have the option to do that. Uh, Tony, we obviously can't cover everything in, in half an hour. I, I'm curious, what are some other things that maybe we haven't discussed that you'd like to, to bring front and center about DCFOF and, and what you all do or ways people can help or just anything that could uh, could could make life better with, with the mission that you all have? I think it's always, I always direct people to our website because I would say there is a, this work that started in Texas very much talking about about a few small advocates, a small group of people that sat around a kitchen table, and they started to uh, plan what a violence-free world uh, for women and children would look like in our state. And so we talk about there being a place at the table for everyone. And truly there is a place at the table for everyone and anyone who wants to help. However, whatever your choice is, whatever your gift, if you have the gift of time that you would like to contribute, we're 600 volunteers a year coming and support this agency. If you have treasures that you and money that you'd like to contribute, there's always a place for it. If you have your old things that you want to be able to donate because you have used them and now you want to pass them on for someone else to use, then we always take those things to our donation center. There's just an opportunity, whatever your heart 
desires and however you choose to be able to participate on this journey that people are taking with us to healing, then there is a way for you to be able to do that. And I think that we are fortunate to live in a time where people know that they can come to an organization like ours and have access to services, and literally people come in with nothing. They have nothing except for they're going to call strangers like myself or my staff, and they're going to ask for help, and they're hoping that we can do that without judgment or shame for them, and they can do that, and they can come in and receive services and still maintain their dignity. That's really, really important for us to be able to provide for them. So we thank all of our donors out there, and I thank all of you that are choosing, um, that are contemplating today about how you can support Denton County Friends of the Family because um, what you do is make a difference in people's lives every single day by giving a gift to our organization. Well, Tony, we really, really appreciate it. Thanks so much for taking the time to join us this morning, and thanks for all your work that you do for DCFOF. Thank you so much, and follow us on social media. Love to see you out there following us, and we love to engage with you live, and we do lots of education and so lots of fun stuff. So come out and join us. And um, don't forget our upcoming 40th anniversary that's happening virtually. So wherever you are in the world, you can stop and you can join that, and it's going to be a great party. And all that information, dcfof.org. Well, that's going to do it for us this morning. I'm Jared Sandler of 105.3 The Fan. Thanks so much for joining us, and be sure to tune in next week as we continue to focus on organizations doing great things in our community right here on Better Living. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.